Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. If you're new or visiting, I'm Pastor John. And if you're not new or visiting, it's nice to see you. I've been out for a few weeks. Um, my, uh, my wife and I, we had our third son born last Saturday. So I've been out on, thank you. Thank you. I can't take all the credit. She did most of the work. Um, but I've been out for, for a few weeks now. Um, and it's been, it's been fun. It's been joyous. It's also been exhausting. So if I start slurring my words and pass out, it's just that I'm a parent of three children. But I'm back tonight, and it's good to be back with you all and celebrating Christmas with you. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And this isn't a passage that talks about Jesus' actual birth. It's a passage of the, Gabriel, of, of the angel Gabriel reaching out to Mary, preparing her for what's going to happen on Christmas. So I invite you to hear God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this celebration. We thank you that we get to gather and celebrate that day when you became one of us, when you broke into this world, when you began the plan of salvation in earnest, when you became human and you experienced what we experience. You even experienced death on the cross. And we thank you for the hope and the resurrection that we have that death has been overcome. And Lord, as we celebrate your birth into this world, we celebrate when it began, when your life as a human began, when salvation was achieved, Lord, through the cross and resurrection. We thank you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in the Gospel of Luke here, Luke really ties Christmas to this idea, this, this teaching of the virgin birth. I don't know if you noticed it, but Mary's actually called a, a virgin twice before we even learn what her name is. Luke is tying 
Christmas to this miraculous birth, to the miraculous circumstances of Jesus's birth. Now, the virgin birth, it's one of the oldest teachings in the church. For over 2,000 years, Christians have proclaimed this. If you go back to the Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest articulations of faith, it identifies Mary as a virgin. If you look at the Nicene Creed, a, a confession of faith from the 300s, it talks about Mary as a virgin. It was right there at the beginning of the Christian faith. And for thousands of years, this teaching has been passed down over and over again. But then around the early 20th century, it came under doubt. For various different reasons, people, Christians, started to question the virgin birth, to raise doubts about it. Some began doubting because they just stopped being Christian and stopped believing in God, and that began in earnest in the early 20th century. Others, though, still tried to hold on to faith in God, but just said their experience didn't include miracles, so they didn't believe miracles could take place. So they thought the Bible was using figurative or tricky language to help them understand other truths. But then others began doubting it, not because they lost faith in the Bible, they thought the Bible was using any sort of silly language. They lost faith because they started, or they began to doubt this one belief because looking at the Bible, some oddities were raised. I mean, there are some truths about the virgin birth that we have to acknowledge, such as the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, never mentions it once. And the Gospel of Mark, which is likely the earliest of the Gospels written, never mentions it. And the Gospel of John, the latest of the Gospels that were written, never mentions it. It's really just Matthew and Luke that talk about the virgin birth, that tie Christmas to the virgin birth, that have that as part of the story of what God was doing in Jesus. And Luke especially ties those two together. So these doubts started to rise about the virgin birth. And as you can imagine, there was all sorts of controversy. If you look at U.S. history, this was actually a pretty prominent debate. It spilled over from the church into society at large. And everybody seemed focused on this one question with the virgin birth. Did it happen or did it not happen? That became the only question that people asked about this teaching of the church that had been passed down for thousands of years. Did it happen or did it not happen? I have to confess that initially, when I was coming to faith, beginning to study the Bible earnestly, that was a question I was focused on. Did it happen or did it not happen? And then at one point I had a professor who reframed things a bit for me and said, while, while the question of did it happen or not is important, that may not be the first question to ask. There is another question that can help you reorient yourself, that can make that question of did it happen or did it not a little easier to answer. My professor said, instead of asking did it happen or did it not, first ask the question, what does this teach you about God? What is the Bible trying to help you understand with any of the stories of miracles or any of the stories in the Bible? Ultimately, what is it trying to show you about God? What is it trying to tell you about God? And I think when you come to the virgin birth and this passage with Gabriel and Mary asking that question, it changes your whole perspective 
on the importance of this virgin birth, on what it actually means and why it matters. So what does this passage teach us about God? What does the virgin birth teach us about God here? What does Christmas teach us about God? It's a number of things, but I think it begins with who God decided to reach out to and where she lived. We're told at the very beginning of this passage that God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with Nazareth because we sing these Christmas hymns every year that talk about Nazareth. Jesus is from Nazareth. But in this day, in Jesus' day, Nazareth was a tiny little podunk town that nobody cared about. It was not where somebody who was powerful or prominent would come from. In fact, one of Jesus' own disciples, when told that he's from Nazareth, says, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's like Riverside or something, I guess. Just kidding. My wife's from Riverside. That's why I make that joke. But you get the idea. Nobody important came from Nazareth. And not only that, but God reaches out to Mary. Mary has become one of the most famous and important people in the history of the world. You can just say the name Mary, and most people will think you're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And all sorts of different cultures have tried to connect with Mary in different ways, our, our own included. And you can see this in different depictions of her in art. I've got some pictures of Mary I'm actually going to throw up here. You're all familiar with this one, right? People try to depict Mary that way. I'll tell you right now, she probably didn't look like that, and that's okay. I've got another one here. A little different, right? I don't think we're all as familiar with this depiction of Mary, but this is Mary with Jesus. It's from an Asian culture, though. I've got a, another one here. This is a very, very European Mary. Again, she didn't look like this. I just want to make that clear. She also didn't look like that other picture as well. And then I have another one here. This is from Africa. It's a depiction of Mary. She's become so important. She's become so famous that all sorts of different people and cultures have tried to depict her in their own likeness. Again, she likely didn't look like any of those pictures. She was from Nazareth. So she wouldn't have looked like any of those pictures, but all these different people have tried to connect with her. And what's fascinating to me about that is that at this point in the story, when Gabriel goes to Mary in Nazareth, she is a nobody. In fact, she's less than a nobody. She would have been around 13 or 14 years old because that's when engagement took place for what we would call girls in that day. She would have been viewed as a piece of property, essentially. She would have been less than nobody from a podunk town that nobody cared about. And yet that's who God chose to bring the world, bring Jesus into the world through. I think we learn right away, God views people differently than we do. God is going to work through surprising people. God is going to work through people that will shock you, people that may offend you. But God just views people differently than we do. God sees value where the rest of the world overlooks it. That's one of the deepest truths of the virgin birth. The fact that Mary, this outsider, this person that nobody would have really cared about, all of a sudden becomes central to the history of the world. 
That's God's doing by sending the angel Gabriel to her. To the point that in Mary's own day, the person who would have been the most powerful is the Roman emperor. I'm not sure how many of you could even name who the Roman emperor was during Mary's lifetime. I'm pretty positive none of you could name who the emperor was during Jesus's ministry. And yet we all know Mary just by her name. It's pretty remarkable. God just views people differently than we do. And God will take people on the outskirts, place them in the prominent position and lift them up. It's something that God does consistently throughout scripture. So that's one of the first things I think we learn about God through the virgin birth here. But another thing that we learn, Gabriel uses that language about the throne of David, saying that Jesus is going to get the throne of David. God's going to give Jesus the throne of David. He's not just talking about a throne or a seat there. He's talking about a symbol. The throne of David served as a shorthand for that time in Israel's history when things were going well. When there was no foreign power, no big empire conquering Israel, taking over Israel, making decisions for them when they weren't subservient, when they were able to make their own decisions, when their economy was flourishing, when there was literacy and people were writing things down and people were educated. That's what the throne of David began to symbolize. And God had made a promise that there would always be a descendant of David on the throne of David. But after David's lifetime, some empires came in, took over. Israel was subservient. Those glory days of the throne of David were lost. And all of a sudden, people forgot this promise. When Gabriel is talking to Mary, he's invoking that promise. He's reminding her that though everybody else may have forgotten this promise, God has been faithful to this promise. And I think what we learn here is when God makes a promise, God will eventually come back around to that promise. God will be faithful. When we're celebrating the birth of Jesus on Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but we're also celebrating God's faithfulness to the promise to David. God's willingness to come back around and fulfill that promise in a way few people expected. God's faithfulness is put front and center here with this story of the virgin birth. So that's what I think we can learn. There's other things I think we can learn too. If you look closely at Mary's response to Gabriel, she responds with surprise. That's pretty common in the Bible as well. When God reaches out to someone, when God brings somebody into the center, when God wants somebody to be part of the work that God is doing, the people who are closest to God's work are usually the most surprised by it. I mean, Moses was shocked when he was told he was going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He had a stutter. Why would God choose him? Over and over again in the Bible, you see people being surprised that God is choosing them, that God is using them. And I have to say, it's not just surprise that Mary shows us here. I know that the idea of a virgin birth is hard to wrap your mind around. I get why people doubt it. I get why people don't believe it. I, I understand that. It's a miracle. It, it's supposed to be difficult to believe in. And if you find yourself doubting the virgin birth, well, just know you're in good company. Mary was the first person to doubt this. When told that this was going to happen, her response is, how can this happen for I am a virgin? I think we learn here, though, that God can handle whatever doubts you might have. 
That doubts don't disqualify you from serving Jesus, from serving God. That doubts don't define you. Because Gabriel doesn't chastise her. Gabriel doesn't embarrass her or shame her. Instead, Gabriel just responds with this line. For nothing will be impossible with God. I think that's the key. And I think at Christmas, that's one of the things that we are celebrating, one of the core things that we are celebrating, for nothing will be impossible with God. To me, that's the thesis statement of Christmas. For nothing will be impossible with God. But I want to clarify something because there's another idea that's out there in culture that could get confused with this. And I want to draw a distinction here. One of the most annoying, frustrating moments in my life was in June of 2008. In June of 2008, the Los Angeles Lakers lost to the Boston Celtics. For those of you who know me, who come to Stonebridge, you know I bleed purple and gold. I love the Lakers. And when I had to watch the Celtics celebrate defeating the Lakers in the NBA Finals, it physically hurt. And I remember watching this and seeing this man named Kevin Garnett celebrating. Now, Kevin Garnett, phenomenal basketball player, horrible person, God forgive me. But Kevin Garnett, he's actually not that horrible person, he's just a Celtic, so. But Kevin Garnett was celebrating. You see, he'd been in the league for 12 years. He was a great player, but he never won a championship before. And he had just been traded to the Celtics, this was his first year with them, and he went on and he won a championship. And all these reporters wanted to know, what does Kevin Garnett think? What does Kevin Garnett think? And they all surrounded him and they asked him, Kevin, what do you feel right now? And he said this, anything is possible. And then to really hammer his point home and to really annoy me, he threw his arms out, threw his head up and he yelled to the sky, anything is possible. And it was absolutely ridiculous. The man's a phenomenal basketball player. Of course it was possible for him to win an NBA championship. Of course, this was going to happen at some point. It was likely to happen. It was not that impossible for him to win an NBA championship. But that idea, anything is possible. It's popular around our culture. And I get it. It basically means if you put your mind to something, if you work really, really hard, you can accomplish anything you want. The thing is, that's not actually true. There are some things that we can't accomplish, some things that through our own power we can't overcome, and that is not what Gabriel is saying to Mary here. What Gabriel says to Mary is very specific and it's different. For nothing will be impossible with God. It means that without God, some things are still impossible. But what Gabriel's also doing here is tying what is going on with, his, with the virgin birth into a much larger story. After Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. I'm sorry, before he says that, he talks about Elizabeth, Mary's relative, who is older in age, who was supposed to be barren, but who now is pregnant with a child. That's pretty common in the Bible. There's a number of instances of women who aren't supposed to be able to have children who are too old, and then all of a sudden they become pregnant through some sort of miracle. It goes all the way back to Genesis even. Sarah, Abraham's wife, one of the earliest stories in the Bible. She's old in age. She's well past her year. She's never been able to have a child. And then she's told that she's going to become pregnant. And what does Sarah do? She laughs. And then the Bible asks this question. If you read it in English, it'll be something like, for is anything too wonderful for, for God? 
But when you look at it in Greek, and you look at Luke in Greek, it's more like, for any, will anything be impossible with God? Luke and Gabriel are answering that question. For nothing will be impossible with God. These stories of miraculous birth in the Bible, the point of them is to point to the person who is being born, to highlight something important is happening, somebody important is coming into the world. And when it comes to the virgin birth, Gabriel's clear that this falls into that larger story. But in this instance, God is doing something that not even God had done before. God is pushing the envelope here. This isn't the normal story of a miraculous birth. This is now a virgin who is going to have a child. And God is doing this to get our attention, to get the world's attention, to have all of our eyes looking on the person who will be born on Jesus of Nazareth so that we can see what God is doing and so we can see God's love clearly for us. Nothing will be impossible with God, we're told, especially when God is trying to get our attention. I think these are all things we can learn from the virgin birth here. God takes lowly people and places them in positions of prominence. God is going to be relentlessly faithful to promises. When God makes a promise, God will come back to it eventually. It may not be in the way we expect, but God will be faithful. And we should never put anything past God when it comes to getting our attention. And whatever doubts we might have, whatever surprise we might have, God can handle it. And God is working to get our attention. I think that's actually what Christmas is about. It's not just Jesus being born, but it's us understanding what happened when Jesus was born. And the virgin birth was part of this story so that our eyes would be drawn to it, so we would recognize how important it is. So with all of this, I think we can learn a lot about who God is. But it brings us back to that original question. Did it happen or did it not? The truth is, I think people are going to come to different conclusions. And just being realistic, I think we have to learn to live with that. But I have to say to you, honestly, for myself, I do think this happened. I think that the virgin birth actually happened in history. I think it's something that God did accomplish. For a number of reasons. I mean, one... If I believe God could become human and then die and then be raised from the dead, having a virgin birth seems a lot less uh, impossible than that. So it's not that big of a step. But it's not any sort of historical arguments. It's just that this simply seems to fit God's character so well. This God who is relentlessly faithful to promises. This God who is relentlessly trying to get our attention. This God who is willing to do all sorts of wild things that will surprise us, work with people we would never expect. All of it just fits God's character in the Bible so consistently, fits the character of Jesus revealed so consistently that it's easy for me to believe that God would do this also. So I know not everyone's going to agree, and that's okay. If you have your doubts about the virgin birth, if you have your doubts about details of Christmas, that's okay. But just know this is how God works. And that God will continue to surprise you. God will continue to reach out to you. And God is trying to get your attention. In those moments where you realize it, may we respond in the way Mary responded. 
being told her life was going to be turned upside down, that she was going to bear actual God in human form, Mary said, here I am, Lord. Let it be according to your word. May we respond in the same way. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you became one of us. We thank you that you have done nothing but tried to get our attention since the moment we fell from you. Lord, open up our eyes that we might see your work. Open up our minds and our hearts that we might respond to you. And as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus in this world, help us to understand the many ways in which you reach out to us that we might know of your love. Lord, we thank you for this celebration that we have. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
A child is born. 